Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 143 for Monday, May 31st, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is a lightly barbecued Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello. The temperature just keeps on rising around here, which is a good thing heading into what will be June very, very soon. Uh, if you'd like to hear more about thermometers and uh, barbecues, and uh, the pricing of things that confuses all of us, then check out the render distance. It's the extended version of the podcast, and you can get it at patreon.com slash the So we have a lot to cover in today's episode. It is quite a timely one. We are recording a couple of hours later than we normally do, and it's a good thing we were because, boy, do we have some stuff to cover in the news. But first of all, let's check in and see what's been going on in the Minecraft life of Joel Duggan. So I split my Minecraft time last week again uh, between the snapshot survival gameplay and the Citadel. Uh, I had been just playing Wednesdays, but I've been trying to find the geode uh, in the survival uh, snapshot world. So I played both Wednesday and Friday and uh, I didn't find it. I, I still I'm kind of hamstrung by not finding a geode because amethyst and amethyst crystals and all the things that you can do with them, along with building with calcite. And uh, is it smooth basalt is the other thing that's yeah. around them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I've not been able to use any of those blocks yet. Uh, I know I could use them in creative and I might end up resorting to that because I do want to explore them. But uh, I have yet to uh, go through those, which also meant that the uh, new achievements, which we'll talk about in just a minute, um, I couldn't really get to many of those because a good number of them actually revolve around um, do, like using stuff with, uh, with geodes and, and amethyst crystals. Uh, I, I worked on a few things. I was able to, um, I don't think I put a goat in a boat, but I, I did a few of, uh, of the achievements that I had access to like copper and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I do find that I'm hitting kind of a roadblock, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show as well, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it just, just seems to be, I'm, I'm doing vanilla farm automation to explore the content, but until I find this extra content, I'm kind of stuck. Sure, um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's still good. It's still fun. Um, I So when I flipped over to the Citadel, uh, I was building, and now I find that I'm, I'm working on this medieval town and thinking about the other blocks, you know, like the deep slate and whether that will work as different roof tiles. And like, there's a bunch of different things that are in my mind. So I'm glad that I had a current project because there's other things that I haven't started yet where I was like, Ooh, do I want to wait until I have access to just a few more block pallets, you know, um, to, to, to work on that kind of stuff. So that, that actually might affect the way that I'm, I'm working on Citadel right now, but I have been, and I think I mentioned last week working on a carpenter workshop that had like a water wheel and had, uh, a, um, gantry crane and stuff like that. So that this weekend I finished up the roof the gears inside the tower, the final exterior and interior builds. Uh, and it was really challenging because I had to once again revert to using gray stone. I tried to go the brick and the granite route, and it just didn't look very medieval to me. It looked yeah. more like modern city brick. Uh, and it might have worked as like a chimney, but as the whole tower in this build, it just wasn't quite what I was hoping to to achieve. Um, so I went with brick and it took me a few tries, but I did end up getting a tower design that was different than other things immediately next door to it, but still unique enough, uh, and the same enough that it felt like it, it, it blended in with the town. I do feel I'm a little bit spent on the gray and the brown though. Yeah. Uh, it, it just tends to be a little bit repetitive now, which I mean, I guess is authentic because I mean, most, um, 
most medieval towns would be gray and brown. I think the difference is that there's not a lot of variation in the gray. We have a lot of 50% gray in Minecraft, and that might be where Deep Slate might come in handy later on down the line. Um, I did make some use of the tables and chairs data pack by Chuck Chuck, as well as the more mob heads and the armor stand data packs from Vanilla Tweaks that we have installed on the server just for fun, just for some creative things, for things like the workbench and the table saw and all that kind of stuff. And uh, anyway, at the end of the day, I'm quite happy with it. It, it came out better than I was anticipating because I was getting a little frustrated with it. Um, I think the only thing that I find that I'm still not happy with, but I'm hamstrung by Minecraft is the roof. Uh, it does feel very day one Minecraft because it's it's an oak roof, like an oak stair roof. <laughs> and because there's not a lot of like variation, you're kind of like, well, I, I, I want to put some extra blocks in here, but like because everything stairs, like I just, I really can't. So you have to go with geometry differences to try and break it up. Yeah. Yeah. You put ridges in the roof with full blocks and it kind of changes mm -hmm. things up. And I entirely know what you mean, both with like oak being day one Minecraft. And it's weird how we build up this kind of bias towards the material. Yeah. Um, but like oak and cobblestone will forever to me feel like like early village houses and stuff, no matter how like beautiful and ornate you end up making things. And uh, I feel you with the grey and brown fatigue as well, because that's always the way it goes with materials that you can get a lot of very easily, like stone and wood. There aren't too many colour variations that don't just immediately stand out. Like, you, you think about switching things up and using different colours of wood, but you think, would this really have a bright orange or a, blight, a, a bright blue roof mm -hmm. in the middle of this medieval town? And typically, no. And... Like, it's the reason I built the roof of my castle on the survival guide out of nether brick and red nether brick at the time was because I wanted it to have a tile roof feel and something that maybe felt a little bit more fantasy inspired, but I just didn't want to make the entire thing out of wood. Otherwise, it would look just like everything else around it. And I really mm -hmm. wanted it to stand out. But making those decisions is very tricky. And I think that's why a lot of medieval builds end up with the kind of the overgrown feel where you just throw a bunch of leaves in as though you know vines have yeah. come kind of climbing along the roof just to throw in a bit of color and a bit of textural variation that looks natural compared to how structured you have to be with the wood and the stone and i did that with a, a vine going up the side of of the tower um mostly because i wanted to take a screenshot and there's a section of riverbank that hasn't been touched like it's it's basically like a sheer cliff that's not not even been looked at and it's eventually going to have maybe some stairs and some access to something i was using the area behind the tower as like my kind of staging ground for building so there will eventually be something there as a building i don't know what it's going to be mm -hmm. um but yeah like you're right like you just you end up having to go the route of peppering things with overgrowth and and whatnot and because the tower goes into the water and there is a water wheel i wanted to use mossy cobble and mossy bricks which means that the bottom at least had to be gray because we knew we we're going to be using those blocks and because there's no other mossy variants in the other things uh, i guess maybe in in the caves and cliffs update you might be able to use um copper rock copper blocks that might look like they have a little bit of green on them um but it depends on how well that meshes in with the other blocks and yeah, so I'm I'm anticipating a struggle uh, with the the number of other buildings I have yet to add to this medieval town and trying to make them different. I've done some andesite stuff. I've done some diorite stuff. I have not yet been able to make granite work for me. Mm -hmm. um, but never say never. You know, like I mean, I'm happy to accept the challenge. I'm just like, how am I going to make this work? Uh, and I think I think I might just have to wait until there is this kind of like underlying we'll say story or age to the town where the newer section, the Western part of town is also meant to be the, the more wealthy section of town, at which point I might be able to get away in my head with some 
brighter colors and some fancier looking stonework right that yeah that might not pass as like you know like the market stuff where there's the carpenter and the baker and the inn and the and the stone church like that all feels kind of not grungy but it feels like a working class yeah. as opposed to you know someone that's just kind of sitting around and being more social you know? yeah and you can imagine some wealthy merchant has connections further afield and is able to get nicer stone shipped in from a quarry further away yeah. and that kind of stuff so you can you can definitely start to uh, to justify it at that point so I'm writing down that now I have to build a quarry. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, the idea is popping off on, on the show, yeah. as always. That's it for me. What have you been up to, man? So uh, I have been working feverishly to get some stuff done at the museum, uh, knowing that at this point we're on a bit of a tight deadline and not quite knowing how tight the deadline turned out to be. But uh, I've been working on a little bit of stuff for remaining exhibits, finishing off sections of the structure itself, uh, and looking for places to just stash all of the stuff I haven't done yet, whether it's just simply throwing a bunch of blocks in a room and saying, this is the room that's all about, you know, all of the dyed stuff. So I didn't want to have a separate exhibit for wool when I could also put that with wool, carpet, beds, banners, like all of the stuff that you make out of those dyed materials. And the same for concrete, terracotta, concrete powder, glazed terracotta, and glass. That can all basically go in one room because it's all the materials that have 16 colors in the game. So that's kind of where my brain has been leaning instead of going more in depth with those exhibits. However... I decided that I needed to double down on the generated structures sort of to balance out the overall layout of the museum as it currently is because the side that has the overworld biomes built out and the generated structures from the overworld kind of outweighs all of the stuff that I've done on the nether wing of the museum and so I've started rebuilding a bastion remnant. I say started, I'm probably about two-thirds of the way through, but it's almost impossible to tell <laughs> because a bastion remnant is the most ruined, finicky structure to reproduce faithfully if you're mm. building it block for block in the overworld, which I am. I've got a, um, a bastion remnant that I found out in a lava lake and I picked one of the housing bastion because I thought those were going to be maybe some of the smaller ones. Um, I didn't want to rebuild a treasure bastion given how monolithic they are and how much blackstone would have to go into it and the intricacies of the interior were going to be a lot to handle but with the the housing bastion I thought it's modular it's got a relatively small footprint and it looks like how people expect a bastion to look if they're not looking for the treasure ones in particular there's the sort of larger tower section and then the individual modules around a field of netherwort in the middle and I found one of those in a creative test copy of the world out in a lava lake where there was no other blocks around it. And I thought, great, I'll just take a bunch of screenshots of this. Nope, bad idea, because the screenshots really don't convey depth and didn't have all of the angles of the interior. So what I've been doing is running a second instance of Minecraft side by side with the main one where I'm building things, recording it all using Replay Mod and creating a time lapse of it. And... Oh boy, it's intensive work to get the accuracy of each of these kind of, you know, interiors and everything when the floor is all broken up. And it's difficult to tell what it looked like initially because of so much of it has been added with decaying blocks with cracked black stone and basalt to kind of imply that bits of it are falling apart. It's so difficult to 
imagine that as a complete structure and then just remove all of the blocks that you don't need i'm actually having to build it ruined in the first place and it's it's quite a task it's been a very i, I think i probably put maybe five or six hours into the build already and i probably need to put in two more before i'm satisfied with it uh it's a lot but i'm now doing this at, at a museum that has we have a mob switch in the world now so no spawns in that area at all and that's for the better because i can't imagine lighting this up accurately either to make sure that nothing would spawn inside it once i was done so i think uh for the purposes of the museum having a mob switch there is a pretty ideal experience really man that thing is is huge and and to look at the the way that other screenshots are going the way that you're sharing them in the live uh chat here like it's a wing it's like it's only a fraction of yes. the size of the museum mm -hmm. and like man I, I on top of the geometry and the challenge of putting together a bastion like i just the blackstone just all looks the same to me <laughs> it does and i yeah. can't imagine how annoying that must be to try to distinguish like one kind of blackstone from another from from cracked from like oh man, stairs like what did they use to make this thing look the way that it looks i mean at least basalt stands out against blackstone you can kind of spot that a mile away but but yeah that must be tedious would be would be a word that would come to mind yeah but putting, putting it lightly <laughs> yeah all that said though looks fantastic like i yeah. mean it definitely I, I there's no mistaking it like it it definitely it does not look like another fortress it looks like a, ba a bastion yeah and i've considered using mods like light matica to maybe give me a blueprint but honestly with the amount of like bridging around and placing stuff that i have to do it wouldn't really be that much quicker of a process um mm. and and so yeah it, it's it's been tough but it's going to be worth it it's going to be again like as authentic a, a snapshot of this bastion as i can provide in the overworld and instead of lava in the floor i'm probably going to do what i did with the lava flow that i built a while ago and just alternate shroom lights and magma blocks to kind of give it a little bit of danger, but not like you fall in this and then you die within three seconds. Um, mm. I, I figured it was probably best to to m make it a little bit uh, a little bit easier on the visitor, uh, and I think it's going to turn out quite well as as a a fresh exhibit. But yeah, you're right. Blackstone is kind of difficult. I have had to recount a bunch of these uh, structures and and make changes as I go because I realised that I counted three blocks when I should have counted two, and so forth. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's going to be fine working on an end city after this, which I think is going to be a much more pleasant thing to build on account of it being a complete looking structure and reproducing the end ship is going to be a fun thing. And then later in the week, I'm going to start on the mob exhibit. And aside from the exterior of the building, that's probably going to be one of the last things I have to do. So fingers crossed it's all going to get done on time uh, because... We should probably roll straight into the news. Oh boy, do we not have a great deal of time left. Um, so, uh, we, we delayed our episode by a couple of hours today, and for good reason, because Minecraft 1.17 now has a release date. We'll have a link to the article on Minecraft.net that explains this, but Caves and Cliffs Update Part 1 is coming out on June 8th. That is a week from tomorrow, if you're listening to this podcast on the day it comes out, the day it is recorded, uh, June 8th. So the update will be available for Minecraft Bedrock Edition on Xbox Series X, Series S, Xbox One, PlayStation 5, PS4, Nintendo Switch, iOS, Android, and Windows 10, as well as, of course, Java Edition on Windows, Mac OS, and Linux, all coming day and date June 8th. 
in addition to that, we got the first pre-release for 1.17, which perked everybody's ears up a little bit last week. Uh, and the pre-release says, from now on, you should mostly see bugs being fixed. In addition to that, pre-releases don't follow the regular snapshot cadence of releasing on Wednesdays. So keep an eye out for future pre-releases as we head towards June 8th. Additionally, based on feedback from the community, they have decided to include candles in part one of Caves and Cliffs again for Java players. Candles will become available in Bedrock Edition shortly after the release of part one. So in a, a dot release for Caves and Cliffs part one on Bedrock. New features in 117 Pre-1 include a new set of advancements, which Joel alluded to a little bit earlier. So we have whatever floats your goat for floating in a boat with a goat, wax on and wax off for applying wax to and scraping wax off of a copper block, the cutest predator for catching an axolotl in a bucket, the healing power of friendship for teaming up with an axolotl and winning a fight, glow and behold for making a sign glow, light as a rabbit for walking on powder snow with leather boots, Surge Protector for having a lightning uh, having lightning strike a lightning rod near a villager without setting the area on fire. Uh, and is it a bird? Is it a balloon? And is it a plane for looking at a parrot, a ghast, and a dragon, respectively, using a spyglass? Some changes in 117 Pre-1 include candles having been added back to the creative inventory, and the recipes for crafting and dyeing candles are once again available in Survival. Candles now have a different texture when lit, and we've seen a few iterations from Jasper Burstra throughout the week on this one as well. Uh, glowing text on signs now has an outer glow, making the text in dark colours much more visible in the dark. And holding down the spacebar now increases the scroll speed of the end credits once you've jumped through the end portal. A few technical changes in 117 Pre 1 that I thought were worth bringing up. A full list of these changes is on the Minecraft.net blog post, but they have added an F3 and L shortcut to generate and persist performance metrics from in game. Pressing F3 and L while in the game will start a recording for 10 seconds, which captures metrics such as tick durations, used heap sizes, and other more detailed stats. Pressing F3 and L before that 10 second limit ends the recording early, but this will get saved to a zip file in your debug slash profiling folder and can be used for performance regression analysis if included in bug reports. The exact metrics, output format, and names are susceptible to change within versions. It says their plan is to continue iterating on which metrics to capture. Uh, there are a full list of bugs. Obviously, they're focusing on bug fixes right now, so this pre-release is chock full of bug fixes for recent and older features. We haven't included any of those in our news this week, but you can find a full list at the Minecraft.net blog post linked in the show notes. Minecraft Dungeons Hidden Depths DLC has been released. To quote the blog post on Minecraft.net, a shard from the Orb of Dominance has been wreaking havoc, and it's up to you to free the tides from the dangerous, uh, undertow, the dangerous undertow of corruption. New weapons, gear, and artifacts are waiting beneath the surface among countless treasures. DLC features include things like adding three new underwater missions, two story levels, and one secret level, a new ocean-themed set of weapons, artifacts, and armor to help you combat undersea variants of Minecraft dungeon mobs, and 10 new advancements slash trophies, uh, sorry, achievements slash trophies to unlock on your adventures. Free update features for players that have not yet downloaded the DLC include raid captains. Taking down these dangerous foes will immediately change the way you play the game. Defeat them and they'll drop one of two tokens, a threat banner, which will instantly increase the mission that um, threat level, or a mystery banner, which adds a rules modifier to your current mission. 
Survive the mission with tokens in tow, and you'll earn the Raid Captain's Bounty, a special reward at the end of the mission. The anniversary event is also on right now. To celebrate one year since the release of Minecraft Dungeons, players can complete seasonal trials similar to the Halloween event to unlock the cake armor, a cape with sprinkles, and other treats. So, uh, yeah, that's going to basically wrap up that anniversary event in Dungeons around the time 1.17 releases. So if anybody's looking for something to do in between now and uh, the release of Minecraft 1.17, give Minecraft Dungeons a play if you haven't already. It's it's fun. And I'll be talking about that a little bit later because this is effectively our roundtable week. Uh, usually we bring a couple of different topics to the table. And having played Minecraft Dungeons on stream this Thursday, I thought it was going to be fun to give you guys a bit of a report on my experiences with the DLC. But... Now we have a lot of stuff to talk about, uh, specifically the fact that we've got a week until 1.17 gets its full release, and we have a bunch of stuff in this pre-release that is worth discussing. So uh, you mentioned earlier that you'd had a go at a couple of the advancements uh, and stuff like that. Uh, has anything stuck out to you from this pre-release? Uh, are you happy that candles are back? Uh, we explored some candles, played around with those a little bit because I do have the bee farm going full tilt now. I, I don't remember how many bees, but I just kind of look over and go, that's yeah, a lot. And so I don't ever have to wait to get um, honeycomb to use for wax copper, which means I had lots on hand uh, along with some string to play around some candles. Uh, they haven't changed a whole lot. They, they still look the same to me with the exception, of course, of the lit texture, which is cool. Uh, and I think works better on some than others. Uh, there's... Uh, some of the warmer candles like orange and red look better when they're lit than something like a blue or a or a gray candle uh the colors seem to be a little bit different but as you mentioned um japa is probably going through some iterations on those before they go in so i'm gonna i don't really have anything terribly you know in depth to say about them until they're actually released in the game as 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 final um nice that they're there uh again like i didn't didn't see the reason for them to be delayed so it's it's nice that they're um they're in especially because what they're made of is stuff from previous releases right yeah uh just judging by the changelog saying that they'll be arriving in bedrock edition later i am more confident in th this being a reason that we floated a couple of uh a couple of weeks ago when candles were removed from one of the snapshots um, I'm fairly certain that Bedrock development is the reason for the delay. You hadn't seen candles or bundles, in fact, the other thing that was removed uh, in Bedrock Edition before this point. And so I have a feeling that they probably don't want to communicate this, you know, out loud as such, because uh, there's enough division in the community between like Bedrock and Java development. They didn't want to just straight up say, hey, Bedrock is the reason these things are delayed, because it's much more complex than that but yeah mm -hmm. I, I have a feeling the reason they were taken out was they didn't think they were going to be able to deliver them for bedrock right away and i mean I, as someone that's just built you know a few things in a medieval style and and there are dark corners of my build that i wouldn't mind having a little bit of light i'm not really looking to block mobs it's just that you know it's nice if you put some details into a, a a rafter or a loft in a barn or something like that if it's not completely empty it'd be nice to have a candle or something up there to kind of like highlight a couple of the things that you worked really hard designing so i'm looking forward to trying those out um i think they're going to look better in like medieval chandeliers and stuff than lanterns do mm -hmm. uh, there's a bunch of different things that'll be done what uh, what does have me curious about them is that and i thought about this uh, when i was using them is that um there's two different textures and there's um several different states to every candle because you place them down just like sea pickles so like there's one through four so each one of those placements gives you a different model essentially so there's four different models 
eight different textures plus a lit or unlit animation. I'm just wondering for the people that are not into medieval, medieval Minecraft and, and people that are not like people that are building a modern city that have no use for candles, perhaps um, that could be really cool. Like that might give you an opportunity to do something really creative and have one block in Minecraft that has like a lot of different options that you could then do a data pack or something really cool for. Uh, so that kind of thing is is cool. Like it's not just a single block, pick it up, put it, put it down. Like there's got some, there's got some um, flexibility to it. I think is if, if anybody wants to customize it later, I think it's got some potential there. Yeah, if if you want to have like one candle be something small like a lamp, but then three or four candles could be a TV, and then it has the glow yeah. effectively built into it. You know, there's there's some some fun stuff you can do there, suspending your disbelief and messing with some uh, some block bench stuff. I imagine. Um, yeah, like I'm I'm quite glad to see that candles are back in general because I was looking forward to them and I think I have a, a couple of cool ideas for them now that they are uh, back in the fold. Um, glowing text is a thing. Uh, I think it's pretty cool looking and it, aside from being like 100% more readable, it's turned glow ink into a must-have for anybody who wants to do more modern neon light looking stuff, right? Like if, if, if folks haven't seen this, I, I encourage you to check out some of the screenshots the devs have been sharing on Twitter. I'll, I'll try and find some to put in our show notes as well because it genuinely looks like, it looks a lot more gamey. I think the, the, the main thing is that it's going to be kind of strange seeing glowing neon text on signs that are made out of wood in the average like medieval build it's not really going to look very good but then at that point you're expecting text to be readable at closer range anyway so you don't need to worry about the glow effect as much yeah no that that was my takeaway as well i explored this on the one of the snapshot streams and i mean i did it on the wood signs in my storage area just because like well why not it's going to make it a lot easier to read when i've got eight brown chests and barrels and brown signs on them when just black text like it's going to be a lot easier to color code this kind of stuff make the redstone red make the tool chest gray or brown you know make the sandbox yellow and just kind of see and it does make it a lot easier to just kind of really quickly pick out where things are sitting uh but you're you're 100 right it looks peculiar on a wooden sign <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's it's an odd sensation um what i did find really cool about it though is that like a torch you can see it from miles away yeah now you can't read it but if you had a way of filling up that sign with a certain character or text or dots or like whatever it is that you want to do to create either a pattern or um i think it might be more effective if there was several of them in a row like it gives you a non-block light colored light in minecraft Mm -hmm. uh, and if depending on how you're using it and how creative you are with hiding the fact that it's on a sign i mean it's visible from very far away uh you could even do something really fun like uh maybe create or recreate the eyeballs of spiders and you could just have them in your dark base and mess with friends <laughs> and see how many think that there's spiders creeping around you know in your base like it's yeah it, it's really really interesting and it's one of those things that, like that's really cool but it looks really odd on a wooden sign and i don't know what else to say about it <laughs> yeah uh king b dog shared a screenshot on twitter that he said some people had 
done this with signs where you basically fill it up with the equal sign on all four rows, just as many equal signs as you can throw in there. And it kind of has that like shutter shades look to it almost, the kind of like rave mm-hmm. shades uh, in, in all sorts of different colors. And then you put those side by side, you can create rainbow effects. It's like the kind of stuff I can imagine people adding to uh, beacons and stuff like that whenever people have the glass uh, on a, f- a piston feed tape so it changes the color of a bunch of beacons in a row um, I-, I can see people doing lots of really fun stuff with this and I think even for stuff like multiplayer mini games and hubs and stuff like that just having something where the text looks like that without extra plugins and stuff to add it to the game I think it's going to make that a lot more readable a lot more accessible to people who need to read that kind of stuff up close but also I think just a fun, colourful way of exaggerating the text on a on a sign is going to be super fun. Um, other things from this changelog, the new advancements seem kind of fun to me. Again, they're a really good way to guide players to new features, uh, especially for newer folks coming in who haven't been keeping track of what's in this update. They did the same thing with Village and Pillage. They did the same thing with the Nether update adding in a few things that hint at the possibilities and encourage you to craft the stuff that you might otherwise not really see a use for. Like, I I can fully expect that some people who aren't all that keen on stuff like the Spyglass are still going to have a go at crafting one just so they can get the three advancements associated with it, which I notice is one for the overworld, one for the nether, and one for the end. So encouraging you to keep that in your inventory through each of the dimensions, take it with you, look at a ghast, look at the dragon. <laughs> I think it's interesting that it says a dragon in the uh, the snapshot uh, changelog as well. And we, we know of the dragon, but the idea that there might be more than one type of dragon <laughs> in the future, and it doesn't just say the ender dragon, uh, is is still pretty funny. Yeah, that was the only thing where I'm just, when I looked at that, like, despite not having a geode, I was like, well, I'm not doing that. Like, I just, I didn't mm-hmm. feel like gearing up and fighting the dragon again in, in my, you know, snapshot world. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and again, like, I have the capability. I know exactly where there's some goats. I even have them in a pen. It was just miles away. I was like, eh, I'll do it the next time I go over, you know, because I have to get there by boat anyway, so it would not be terribly difficult. Yes. Um, the uh, the other thing that the, the advancements do... Uh, which is nice, is that even if you're not a new player, maybe you're a seasoned player. Maybe you even do a weekly podcast about Minecraft and you neglected to put together, even though you know that a, a, an axe will remove wax from coffer. Uh, but when you are trying to find just that right state of oxidation, uh, you f- just forget the, about <laughs> the axe until you go, oh, I don't have to babysit this thing. I mm-hmm. can just let it go full oxidation and then come by, hit it twice and be like, done. We're yep. fine. Just wax it and we're good. So it did like re- that reminder from the, the advancements did um, lessen my eye roll against like, you know, how difficult and how much of a pain in the butt it's going to be to build with copper because of the, the waxing, the axe uh, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's just a waiting game. And even if you miss the mark, you don't have to mine stuff. You don't have to change stuff. You don't have to start over again. You can just use the ax to just take it back a tick or two to where you want it, which is cool. So as far as your snapshot world goes, are you going to continue that into the next update? Are, Are you going to continue playing in that world when 117 comes around? Or do you see yourself maybe going back to the Citadel and just waiting for a time when it's convenient to update the server? Uh, well, not, well, not to cannibalize the discussion later, but I, I don't see the point. Um, yeah. 
because the only, I mean, what I will end up doing with the snapshot world, if part two snapshots start coming out in, you know, down the line, um, then sure like that. Cause that it's, it's a way for me to explore what is possible and what we have to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having a world that has no terrain updates and then changing that to include terrain updates will inform me how those terrain updates are also going to affect the Citadel. So I see more of that happening. Um, but as far as the, the gameplay goes, then I, I don't really see the point. I mean, it's only a week, um, before we'll be able to get this kind of stuff on the Citadel. So like if I'm going to spend hours looking for a geode naturally, uh, on, on the snapshot world, I might as well do that on the Citadel, Yeah, you know, and just, and then have access to all the things like in that way, if I die on the Citadel, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, I have all the things I could be back up and running in five minutes. Whereas on the snapshot world, that's not the case at all. Yeah, seems pretty fair. So we're going to be talking a little bit more about that after the emails. And like I said, I'm going to be chatting about the Minecraft Dungeons update as well, because I had a fun time with it. But uh, in the meantime, let's get into some listener email. If you would like to email the show, the main email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. That is for all messages to be read out on the show. Potentially, uh, please use this email address. First email, and only email actually, is from PirateGuy01, fishing in caves and cliffs. Hello, Pix and Joel. I've been a fan for a while now, about two years, and I love the podcast. I'm really excited for the Caves and Cliffs update, although I am disappointed that archaeology is going to be saved for a later update. I have an idea about fishing in Caves and Cliffs. With the aquifers and different local water levels in lush caves, wouldn't it be cool to have different fishing prospects in different cave biomes? Fishing is kind of a mini game in Minecraft, and I think it's useful and underrated. Although, while it's plentiful, uh, should a player have enough patience, it can be a little boring. I think adding uh, more variety to fishing would be a good way to make it more interesting, more fun, and useful. Maybe fishing in a ravine gets a higher chance of treasure without needing luck of the sea. Or fishing in a lush cave uh, could cover a higher chance of fish biting without any lure enchantments. Fishing in a mountain biome could get you some emeralds as a treasure or possibly a goat horn. Maybe rare treasure is a map showing you where an abandoned mine or the start of a copper iron vein could be. There's already an example like this in the game. Bamboo is junk in specific rivers to jungle biomes. I also think fishing in bulk would be a good way to gain some food and would add to the general fishing experience. A new item or tool would be a fishing net. Fishing nets could catch multiple fish at a time and maybe have an inventory similar to a bundle. It can only catch 64 items, including treasure, fish, and junk items you would usually catch when regular fishing rods. Filling up a net would take longer, but it would have a bigger payoff than fishing one item at a time. Fishing nets could also be used to trap and tie down aggressive mobs or villagers. Any mob, really. I would sure make make moving villagers across the nether a lot easier. Again, love the podcast and would love to hear what you think. Pirate Guy 01, drowned. (laughs) How appropriate. Uh, (laughs) Expect Drowned Guy 01 to show up uh, next week. But yeah, thank you for the email. And it sounds like this is an idea that's got a lot of thought put into it. And I've got to say... I really do agree. It reminds me a little bit of fishing in some other games like uh, Terraria, for example, where you can catch different fish depending on the biome that you fish in. And Terraria has a series of underground areas, underground biomes and locations, as well as ones on the surface. Um, So this sounds a lot like that. And in Terraria, a lot of the variety of fish 
are put into uh, making potions for yourself, and the potions in Terraria have like a really broad uh, range of uses. But I do like the idea, and it does strike me as something that can be developed a lot more in future. The fishing mechanics have undergone some iterations lately just to prevent AFK fishing from being such a, a prevalent uh, technique amongst the community, but I think there is potential for it to be expanded, not least because having tried out a while back uh, when Lush Caves first became available as a single biome world preset, I went fishing in a cave to try and get hold of some food, because the only food I could get hold of at that point would be glowberries or anything that a zombie could drop that I could then farm. So it was kind of tricky to get food, not a problem you experience much in a default Minecraft world, but I tried fishing and then I realized that my fishing rate was vastly slowed down because of being underground and fishing works faster if you are above the surface so that there is open sky above you and even faster again if it's raining. So fishing for food in a cave was incredibly slow, but then, you know, in, in some cases world generation could allow for cave fish to be a thing. You've got squid and the glow squid spawning below a certain level, axolotls now doing the same thing, and you've got to imagine that as part of the ecosystem, axolotls might want fish to be down there, and that's how they've managed to thrive in the first place. So I do like the idea of lush caves having the opportunity to generate fish, and I would like to see an expansion to fishing that allows for stuff to happen in different biomes. I think that's a uh, an underused idea in, in the game so far. I, it would definitely spice things up a bit. Uh, and and I, even to, to have that be something that could be used in something like Skyblock, you know, where instead of having to fish at the top of the world, of like if you could set up different fishing pools at different Y levels, which is challenging when there's only like air to try and go and set up and limited water and all that kind of stuff. Uh, like it's really kind of opens up some interesting ideas as to what you could use it for. Um, the thing that stuck out for me uh, was the suggestion of a goat horn uh, fishing in like a mountain lake or something. And maybe you get a goat horn. And uh, I didn't use bundles. I didn't find them overly useful, but I also didn't like killing rabbits. Mm -hmm. There's probably going to be some people out there that don't want to kill goats for their horns. Right. And so if you provide a different way to get the horn, uh, when that eventually becomes available in the game, then that would be, again, just another way to get it. It takes longer, but hey, if you don't really want to punch goats, then that's that's good. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a neat idea. Uh, I really did like the idea of the fishing net, not just because I think it would make fishing a little bit easier. Um, I think it's a nice way to level up. I think that's the thing about fishing. It doesn't have any progression. Like if you, I mean, sure, you can add some enchantments on your fishing rod, but if you had like different rods to craft, if you had different lures to make from different things that would catch you different things, like different items, I feel like that could be kind of cool. Um, but the fishing net and using a different tool uh, kind of opens that up and makes that feel a little bit, a um, little bit more fun to me. But it's not just a fishing net. Like if you can use it as Pirate Guy suggested uh, to capture mobs, I mean, we've seen it spiders do it in minecraft dungeons right now mm -hmm. uh and i mean it just it, it makes a lot of sense like i would love to be able, i mean especially because the villagers in my mind are not the smartest crayons in the box so throwing a fishing net over them and having them go oh i guess i can't go anywhere yeah it's like okay good pass it like i'm not punching you i'm not putting you in danger i'm just i'm keeping you safe <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like the idea and it, it's, it looks silly in my imagination. It, it feels practical in the game. 
Um, I feel like it would it would be something fairly easy to implement, um, especially because like you can put mobs in boats, but it can be kind of tricky unless you know the tricks to, to get them out without hurting the mob or punching the mob. Uh, other things can get in the boats with them. Uh, boats are not like it doesn't really make a lot of sense to have like a land boat and have a, a villager in it. So like there's there's other things that I think that help with, you know, the the fishing net. And plus, like depending on how the nets could work in the game, you could also use them as decorations. Like you could hang them on walls. Maybe you could use them to make um, like not tents, but like what looks like some sort of like lattice structure. Like there's a there could be some multiple uses for it, which I know is something that. Um, for what we've seen over the years in Minecraft, they try to strive to make sure that something has more than just one one use. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the idea of somebody kind of Aquaman style going around with a fishing net and a trident and uh, at that point yeah. kind of declaring themselves king of the sea. Um, it's kind of similar to the way, I guess, um, splash potions of slowness or cobwebs might affect stuff, but if it actually freezes stuff in place. I think at that point the... Uh, the difficulty becomes combat balance for PvP, as often it is. So there's a lot of different angles to consider. But I, I also like the idea of it having a passive fishing mechanic added to it in the world. So, like, you know, you can put it down somewhere at the edge of a a, a lake or a river or, or the ocean and hopefully over time catch fish in it. I think some people have even created manual versions of this after live fish were added to the game and... Uh, basically set up an area where fish would end up swimming into cobwebs where they'd either suffocate because they spent too long moving through them or then players could kill them by various means and it would be uh, a little bit easier to catch the fish but then yeah there's potential for stuff like this to really expand I think in future and honestly having different treasures for different biomes or just like different biomes being able to provide you a greater variety of fish uh is is really appealing to me and i think that could that could really work for people who enjoy the experience of fishing mini games with that taken care of i think it's probably time to move on to our roundtable discussion uh do you want to go first since we already hinted at it earlier talking about uh what you're going to do with your snapshot world in uh in in light of the caves and cliffs update coming imminently so the last few uh, streams, I've been kind of thinking, like, what do I want to do um, with this world, if anything, between update part one and update part two? And because I know that once update part one comes to the Citadel, because it doesn't change the terrain, uh, we'll just be adding the features, you know, and the capabilities of, of part one to the Citadel. And, and I'll play those when I get to them. Um, after exploring a few of the new mechanics of the last few weeks in the snapshot survival play, I've basically done spending my time working on things like um, farms to collect the new materials and kind of see what we can do and, and explore those new mechanics. Uh, I, like I mentioned at the top of the show, I've been hamstrung by not being able to find a geode naturally. And so I might have to resort to exploring that on my own in like a creative world or something. Um, but I just don't see myself, even on the Citadel, expanding a great deal beyond my current project like i mean the medieval town base is going to be i mean sure I'm, I'm hoping to find some uses for deep slate like i'm hoping it makes better roofs than than blackstone right blackstone has a odd texture it's got a weird purple tint to it where deep slate really does look like slate so slate roofs you know like it could it could be great plus it has all the different variants like stairs and slabs and that kind of thing um it doesn't change gameplay much though. Like I don't feel like I'm playing Minecraft any differently when I play the snapshot. I'm just looking for new blocks and new stuff. And so it hasn't changed my approach dramatically. 
And while I, I'm sure I can use copper, I, I've got very specific use cases with it. I'm not making a copper city. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I think I mentioned the copper cisterns I want to put in the, the, the mead brewery underneath the keep, just stuff like that, which is going to be great. And it's going to, it's going to be a great use for that texture, but I, I don't see myself using it a lot currently. Again, always happy to have my mind changed. Um, but the decision remains, if I'm not playing snapshot content, what am I going to do between Caves and Cliffs update part one and part two? Mm-hmm. And, uh... I've said a few times on the show and I've definitely expressed it uh, on multiple deaths in the snapshot world that I'm not a, I don't see myself being a hardcore player. Uh, I'm not, I would do it on like a weekend thing for fun, but I don't see myself trying to put any real effort into a world. Cause I just, I know that wouldn't feel good when I eventually did die. Um, and that's not what I want from Minecraft. So I've been looking at a little bit more modded stuff because I think a lot of the appeal of caves and cliffs part two is that it does feel modded from a terrain generation standpoint like it feels like what mods have been doing for a while and uh i'm definitely drawn to mods and mod packs that have terrain generation and biomes like a lot more biomes than the vanilla game has i just like that sense of discovery and finding new stuff around the corner not just the same four to five biomes that you see most times in the overworld um so i've been kind of bouncing my my brain around as like if I want to try to do in something in the modded space um, and if I do, what kind of mod do I want to play with or a mod pack research? It's just been bombarding me with a bunch of mods and mod packs that don't necessarily improve the game. Um, they just add stuff to it for the sake of it. Now yeah. this is going beyond just the biome stuff. The biome stuff looks great. I've seen a bunch of different things from fabric and other developers and what uh, like mod developers and whatnot, and they look fantastic. But when it gets down to like the adding new tools or adding new tech or adding new things, most of the time they feel like either a one-stop shop for like, this is just someone's idea of making an easy button uh, or they just don't they don't really seem to add stuff with the exception of something like a food mod, something like uh, Pam's Harvest Craft adds a lot of, you know, gameplay and decorative blocks. And like that is more robust, but a lot of the, the smaller mods just seem to add a little thing. And it's like, well, that doesn't, why is that even in the pack other than just because you wanted it to be there? And I don't know if I want to go down the road of compiling my own mod pack, because then I just spend, if not as much or more time, compiling the pack as i would actually playing it yeah and when you go for saying okay well there are people out there that know more than me that have done this more than i have there's not really a a middle ground that i'm finding i'm happy for someone to write into the show excuse me and let me know but it like there seems to be here's a small data pack or a mod pack that does like one thing like say create you know like it has some stuff in there but it's mostly focused on this one thing um but then you've got other mod packs like all of Fabric 3 and a lot of other packs that I see are these kitchen sink packs. And there's just so much in them. And I don't necessarily want to play all of it. but I And I know I don't have to. But it just doesn't seem... Like at that point, it just feels like too much. And it feels like they just confuse one another. We've talked about it before with like, you know... Um, two different mods being in there for two different reasons, but then they both have copper blocks in them. Yeah. And so you have to use one copper block from one mod and one copper block from the other mod. Otherwise, you know, they don't work with one another. And I say, well, that's just, that's just poor um, mod pack planning, you know? Mm -hmm. And I can't seem to find the middle ground of like a a modest mod pack. 
uh, to explore because I think that's what I would do. Like if I if I was to put time into something else, because the 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 uh, survival snapshot series has been fun. It's been doing well. It's provided me with a weekday stream day, which is great. I'd like to try to keep that up, but I don't want to just do the snapshots. I'd like to try and branch out and do some other stuff in between news because there's probably going to be a little bit of a lull between you know snapshots from one seventeen through one eighteen, right? No, my my brain is reverting to that meme format of the joke. Uh, if there is mod and there is also modder, that implies the existence of modest. Uh, and so, yeah, there may be a modest mod pack out there. I, If not, I do like that name for one. I think somebody should do that. But no, I, I agree. I think the problem with modded in general for me has always been that it adds stuff that the mod creator thinks is either an improvement to Minecraft, which is a subjective thing and not necessarily always something I agree with, or it adds something that just kind of broadens one thing without adding too much depth. And the search to find a mod pack which is focused enough to have a goal like that in mind to truly sort of expand on some of Minecraft's ideas and take them a little bit further, you tend to find that more in individual mods like Quark, which just tend towards a more vanilla plus feel and therefore don't really add a whole lot in terms of in-game objectives and expansion to progression and the stuff that makes Minecraft a compelling experience. Modded is always so much more subjective for that kind of stuff. And I think the sort of renaissance of Skyblock mod packs a while ago with kind of Sky Factory 3 and Project Ozone and a few of those really kind of revived that for a while. But I think lately the modded scene has been a little bit in flux with people leaving Forge and moving more towards Fabric, but Fabric not being the right framework for slightly more in-depth content mods. And I don't know quite what the process of that is. I don't pay attention to the modded community as closely as other folks might, but I do sort of wonder at what point Fabric starts to get some of the depth of mods that Forge has, you know, had for a while. Things like uh, like Thorncraft is probably the one I come back to as the one that compelled me the most uh, when I played like a kitchen sink mod pack. I went, oh, there's a really in-depth magic mod here. Let me take a look at this. And I, I really enjoy stuff like that because it has its own sort of internal universe within Minecraft. And it sort of turns Minecraft into a bit of a different game, but it has its own objectives and ties it into the mechanics that already exist, the physics of the world and and so forth. And I don't know if anything like that is really available for Fabric yet, or if it is, it tends to just be done in a slightly different way. And because they are updating more and more frequently and the baseline version that people run mod packs on is changing more and more frequently, I think it's almost worth holding off on like really trying to nail down a modded experience for now because I think 1.17 is going to be where a lot of modded camps out for a while. And I mostly say that because I've heard from modders that the changes in 1.18 with terrain generation and the way the, the code is having to shift to take into account new world height and depth and, and various other things about world generation is just going to mess with the way mods are coded for a while. Uh, and even with Java 16 being introduced and having a little bit more of the, you know, more modern programming language to play around with, it might be a while before we see modded really step forward into part two of caves and cliffs so i i do wonder if 
we're going to see a, a sort of another renaissance of mod packs being made for 1.17 that really starts to maybe have a bit more quality control and a bit more of that kind of approach to curating mod packs that led to a Sky Factory 3, which was a smash hit mod pack uh, for the Skyblock crowd, but also for people looking to get into modded in general. It's still, to this day, the modded experience I think I have enjoyed the most was uh, a couple of runs through Sky Factory 3. I've thought about that because I did enjoy kind of like that that early game kind of like technical approach to Skyblock, you know, when I... Yeah. When I uh, played that uh i can't i mean it was fun to do the early snapshot world and kind of go from survival and get built up pretty fast because i started in a desert village i was able to ramp up pretty quickly and i felt like i was also ramping up pretty quickly when i played my all of fabric three playthrough now that was i think pre-116 so mm-hmm. the all of fabric three that's out now is a newer version uh and it looks to be um like the branding has changed it looks to be handled by a, a different crew uh, and I'm curious to see if there's a way for me to find something like that, like find a tech progression. Cause I, what I've really liked about the snapshot playthrough is like, I like doing the farming cause I've been just, just building for so long on Citadel because all of our essential farms are basically done. Like yeah. we don't have a real need for stuff. You know, I can go to different areas of the server quite quickly and get ink from, you know, farm a and, you know, prismarine from farm B and all that kind of stuff. So to to do that kind of stuff over again isn't really necessary. But to do some tech stuff in in a mod, uh, I really enjoyed in All of Fabric 3. I don't remember the name of the mod that I was playing, but essentially there was like, you know, grinding down iron ore and doubling your ore. And it was an interesting learning process. It wasn't terribly hard. Um, and I, I also look at things like the Create mod, which is very technical and is seeing some popular, you know, uh, YouTubers play with it right now and streamers play with it right now. And on one hand, it looks cool and fun. And on the other, I just think like, I I don't necessarily get the best performance of Minecraft now. And adding all these moving parts and stuff into it when it's not necessarily designed for that, I'd be better off playing Satisfactory, I think, you know, (laughs) to have that kind of experience. So while it's a great looking mod and really cool, I don't know if that's the experience I want. Like I kind of still want the Minecraft experience. I just want to maybe try to find a way to, to tweak it a bit. And the one thing that I'm considering is taking a really good look at all of Fabric 3, the current one, and maybe going through and removing stuff that I just feel is either redundant or there to try to make it more appealing to more people and just try to dumb it down to me. The, where I end up with a shortcoming is that I don't know enough about the mods as to what is reliant on things. Yeah, um, yeah. You don't want you know, to yank like, out something vital and <laughs> realize that yeah. that was connecting two of the other more important mods together. Yeah, precisely. Now, that stuff can be pretty clear, but you also have the daunting task of, like, there's 10 pages of related mods in this pack, and you're just like, oh, gosh, like, do I really want to go through all that? And I'm even considering, like, um, because of some rapport I have with a couple of people that have been doing data packs and stuff, I'm curious if I can find or talk to somebody and maybe even commission a custom mod um, to be used with with this kind of experience to make it a little bit more personal and less about just like playing something that someone else has put together. It's like, well, if I take the time, if I'm being this picky about it, maybe I can take the time to make it honed for what I feel would be, you know, a better experience for me. I just, I don't want to end up in that camp of people where so many of these mods i find are called better this and better that and mm-hmm. it's like what it's a little bit presumptuous to say that it's better it's different <laughs> well you know, they, like yeah just, yeah you know that 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 kind of that kind of vibe always yeah like it rubs me the wrong way a little bit it's also like that's that's how they've got to sell it in a way too yeah no i get it yeah yeah 
Um, I do wonder though, like with it, when it comes to your snapshot world and and moving the citadel onto one point seventeen, I wonder if maybe you're finding yourself running out of things to do or just kind of spinning your wheels a little bit in the snapshot world because you know it's not permanent. And while I expect, mm. yeah, you've seen enough of the mechanics to know what you would do in the Citadel and what you wouldn't, but I do wonder once 117 kicks in, maybe you start to find the medieval city project is feeling a little bit stale. Maybe the solution then is to, to play some some modded for a little bit, but maybe if you start another project in the same way that you've moved on from the modern city project to this one, maybe you try and, you know, push the boundaries a little bit, go out a little bit further, start a project where you can start mining for copper and amethyst and try and find some of those newer blocks and then more projects start to suggest themselves. I think investment in the world itself plays a bigger part than we realize in how we want to appreciate some of these newer features and the the kind of stuff that you want to do if you're if you're feeling like the mechanics themselves aren't suggesting anything to you on face value just you know reading about them or tinkering with them in creative or or wherever it happens to be for listeners at home then i think once you bring that stuff into a world that you actually feel a stronger connection to maybe you'll find that the 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 stuff will tide you over at least until the end of this year yeah and that's the point of the different zones on the sigil is it's like when you're getting stuck on one thing go to a different zone that has a completely different block palette a completely different vibe you know modern city versus you know medieval town like you can't get much more different you know did you uh, and, did you ever start on the sci-fi zone i believe you mentioned that a while back but i don't know yeah if that ever... i've been researching places and i think the best place for it is going to be like a a mushroom island so i've been looking to find like the best one slash right. the biggest one that i can find uh, there are a few that are not terribly far away but i haven't gone too far afield and i haven't started that yet but yeah like that's on my list the other thing that's on the list uh now and i'm glad that we waited is we did have plans to do like an asia pacific kind of ming dynasty kind of idea and you know oxidized copper is a great color to go with and so is and so is regular copper to go with like the the reds and the and the the jades and like uh the prismarine colors and stuff that you can do for those kind of like ancient Chinese builds and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that there's possibility there and it's a nice bright color change. It would be in a different environment. The place that we've picked out is like next to a jungle. So there's lots of green, lots oh, nice. of big trees. Yeah. So there's, there's stuff like that that I think could be really cool. Um, but I just, I just haven't um, kind of explored too much of that. And, and I feel like part of me, I can be like a dog with a bone when I start a project, like until I'm done at least the half of the town that I'm working on in the medieval area. Like I don't want to step away from it because I did that with the, the main city. Like I, I finished a block, like I finished one side from, from one crossroad to the other. And I did all the buildings and stuff. And I thought, okay, I, this is a good time to step away from this and do something different because I didn't leave a building half done. I didn't, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and so uh, there will be some bouncing around, but, um, but yeah, I, I the sci-fi zone would be a good one to, to flip back to as well. Yeah. I mean, now you've got the neon light on all of the signs. I expect mm -hmm. there's, there's some pretty yeah. cool stuff you could do with that. I expect you could, and, and even like with the uh, sort of ancient China inspired area, you've got stuff like moss blocks to play around with as well. Yep. Like potentially mm -hmm. kind of throw some overgrown ruins in there with the jungle environment. Like the wheels will start spinning, I think. And I, I think it's, 
this update is clearly focusing more on the blocks and stuff so i feel like it's a a, a an update that deserves a build project for the most part there will be mm-hmm. a few mechanics here and there that the more technically minded people can go for there'll be a few things that you know people who like exploring will still be able to go out and find but i think a lot of what's happening in part one of caves and cliffs is going to be a very builder centric environment and then for part two you're going to find the explorers get everything they've wanted and more at that point yeah yeah i mean and i i don't want to hold my breath like i don't want to just wait i want to try to do something and move forward you know yeah uh and and i think if i've been spinning my wheels i'm sure there's been a number of other people including some of our listeners that have been spinning their wheels as well so like if you have thoughts if you have ideas you know hit us up with an email uh spongehunkmail at gmail.com and uh and if you have any mod packs that you want to recommend as well happy to do that or you can just toss them in in the discord if you're one of our our uh, Patreon members as well. Uh, speaking of holding breath, though, how, how was your week? <laughs> I, I was going to make the same joke, yes. So, uh, Hidden Depths DLC for Minecraft Dungeons is, uh, is, is pretty fun. It's, it's been great. I've, I've played through the first two story levels uh, on the stream, uh, and I had a bit of trouble getting the secret level because of Raid Captains, which is something I'll get back to in a minute. But... If you've seen the trailers for Hidden Depths, if you've seen any screenshots of Hidden Depths, you know that this is a very pretty expansion to Minecraft Dungeons, and it it really like lives up to that expectation. It's a beautiful uh, work. Like the environment design has has just been ramped up as it normally is with Minecraft Dungeons. Of course, they do a really great job of this. But I think having learned from the style of dlcs that they've put out i would say this one feels close enough to uh maybe jungle awakens but like with a little bit more focus on what it wants to do you've got a first level that emphasizes exploration um there's a a fairly short and direct path through it if you just want to complete the level quickly but there are lots of you know side rooms and caves that you can jump into you know rifts in the ocean floor that you can jump down into and it leads to like a more of a kind of undersea volcanic vent kind of landscape, which is, I think, where you find the scroll that unlocks the secret level. Um, so they've, they've really thought about the structure of the ocean and expanded on ideas that vanilla Minecraft has with, you know, ravines filled with magma blocks and the like. But they've just kind of thrown in a little bit of dungeons flair. Um, the second one has more of a... Uh, a structure feel because you're meant to be at that point exploring an ocean monument which is a a huge expansion from the kind of ocean monument landscape we're used to from vanilla minecraft of course um but it has more of a dungeon crawl feel to it instead of exploring a more organic landscape and it has sections in which conduits appear and initially when you pick one up it is clearing out an area of water around itself so that there is an air pocket and once you start picking up the conduits and using them to power different things they open doors for you you can also pick up the conduit and just carry it with you through the rest of the level you don't have to use them disposably which means that if you're not into the water mechanics and how they feel because they have really changed up the feel of gameplay you can spend the rest of the level zipping around with a conduit on your head and you're running as though you're running above ground. So I, I think it's it's a really neat uh, sort of optional mechanic in a way to to change up your, your gameplay style that way. 
but the, the the water mechanics really have changed gameplay you start to feel like a bit of the drag of being underwater um and it's i mean i, I say drag in the in the kind of more physical sense like it's not as 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 tedious as it might sound to be slowed down a little bit and that's because the rest of the environment has been slowed down too and so if you want to change up your setup to include more speed boosting artifacts you really start to feel the advantage of that over some of the other stuff in the environment and where stacking different speed effects like a swiftness potion and boots of swiftness and a swiftness enchantment on your armor might have made it almost uncontrollably fast <laughs> if you uh, were, were playing on any of the other levels underwater that's a really solid strategy because you can get to the drowned that's throwing a trident at you before it has a chance to fire one off nice now with the uh conduits that you're carrying around does that then remove your ranged ability like i'm thinking yes. about like picking up a piece of tnt like, yeah that's, it, that's same it's, idea. it's something i didn't notice because i play melee only <laughs> this is still right. my my silly uh kind of challenge to myself when i started as a, a character with no weapons whatsoever and now i still just use the fighter's bindings which are gauntlet style weapons and i don't use ranged weapons so it does yeah it gives you the the disadvantage of not being able to use ranged weapons tnt by the way has been replaced by tridents which uh because i guess underwater explosions wouldn't seem quite the same and adding the physics of throwing tnt would be changed because the ranged weapons physics have also been changed uh i expect they decided you know we'll, we'll just give it an underwater feel and instead of TNT, the enemies will drop tridents. You pick one of those up and it effectively sticks into something. It's kind of like a sticky grenade from a, an, an FPS kind of game. Uh, it sticks to whatever mob you throw it at. And after a couple of seconds, a lightning bolt happens like it's got channeling attached to the trident. But it's not an instantaneous thing. It is a timed thing allowing you to get away because it will absolutely impact you too. Um mm. So yeah, you do have to trade off a little bit. And that was confusing to me at first because I was trying to pick up the conduit and I couldn't because I was carrying around these tridents because I hadn't thrown them at anything yet. Uh, so the the mechanics there weren't, you know, immediately explained, but I figured it out quite quickly. Um, and so, yeah, the if you're a melee-only player, just carry the conduit around with you. You can throw it on the ground, leave an area of air around you, and then once you're done shooting everything, pick it back up again. But I think that also oh, nice. adds like a a neat element of almost leapfrog you're playing with the the conduit to to try and gain the advantage over the uh, the enemies um but yeah i i ended up adding in boots of swiftness to make myself a little bit faster and the ranged enemies uh, particularly the drowned who throw tridents are lethal <laughs> at higher difficulties they are really really tough and i think my armor was partly to blame because i'm a little bit underpowered and for the difficulty level and it might balance better for people who either aren't on apocalypse plus or don't have a silly play style like me and just kind of equip anything that they can get their hands on that's more powerful than their previous build was but uh yeah the the drowned can do a huge amount of damage with those tridents they it really feels like getting attacked by a trident on java where suddenly you're six hearts down and it's yeah you know you're mm -hmm. you're, you're desperately running for cover at that point so um yeah i i struggled my way through some sections of that but it was a a pleasant struggle rather than a chore and at the end of it all the story is that another shard of the orb of dominance uh has ended up corrupting a an elder guardian and 
what you end up with is this massive elder guardian to fight as the boss which has appeared in the show in in the uh the dlc art uh which we shared last week i think so it's really not uh, a huge spoiler um but i i honestly felt the boss fight felt a little underwhelming it was a fun fight but um nothing has quite lived up to the heart of ender fight in terms of spectacle and in terms of like variety and the strategy you have to employ to take down the boss because heart of ender basically turns into like a um, a bullet hell kind of thing with like lasers firing at you and the bosses running all over the place and then spewing projectiles and that feels a, a lot kind of uh, very arcadey and quite intense um this one the elder guardian just kind of swims from side to side fires its laser at you occasionally you have a few blocks you can hide behind when it comes out of cover you come out of cover you hit it a few times and then you dart back behind a pillar and it's that kind of rinse and repeat strategy there's not really uh, a huge amount else to it um i think the tempest golem from howling peaks is still the best dlc boss because there are sort of phases to it and there's a little bit of of strategy involved with it but uh overall i think the the boss doesn't have to be the main focus of the whole thing and i think the levels themselves are still really fun to play through I mean, I, I watched uh, a portion of your, your stream when you were playing it, and my gosh, the level design and decoration just looks fantastic. Yeah. And that combined with the subtle details, like you mentioned about projectiles changing, like I saw an arrow like go through the air and then hit the water and just kind of do what you would expect it to do. It basically flopped and kind of lost all four momentum and kind of listed sideways. Like that's really clever you know mm -hmm. to kind of really change the way that you do things and probably try to get you to use more of the things the the items and weapons and stuff that are part of um the hidden depth still dlc um how like i know you said like it, the the moving in the water and stuff really changed the way that the gameplay felt how did you feel like the level design changed was there a lot of like verticality like going down oh yes uh, things and stuff do you find that was that was that a fresh take on things yeah definitely especially in the second level the one leading up to the boss fight there are some sections where you're walking through a section of the level and the floor just ends but you can see the sort of vague silhouette and, and blur of scenery below you and so you're encouraged to drop down from that point or there is a spring like one of those clam springs that kind of right. throws yeah, yeah. you into this pit there are even sections later on where you're exploring this monument and the floor crumbles out from underneath you and then a wave of enemies appears from almost like airlocks on either side <laughs> making it feel even more like a kind of submarine or like a um like a bioshock style scenario where you know you get ambushed in these sections and then the floor crumbles again and you just keep falling down through the different levels of it they have really tried to convey depth and the title kind of says as much but yeah it, it does turn out to be a really really neat way of exploring the environment um and a lot of the time you worry about whether you're going to be able to backtrack and get back to some other areas but then they've provided ways for you to do that a lot of the time so nice. don't worry about exploring these levels and feeling like there's a point of no return other than maybe the boss arena um as far as the other stuff goes uh i had fun messing around with raid captains raid captains only appear in a level that you've already completed so you don't have to worry about them popping up the first time you run through something but then uh, and I think they also won't appear on secret missions, but they will appear when you do any of the basic storyline levels a second time. Um, 
And they're a fun addition for people who want extra endgame challenge. Uh, they basically, when you defeat one of them, they add on one of the modifiers that you could expect to see in a daily challenge or any of the seasonal trials that are happening for the anniversary event or the Halloween event that we've had before, in which basically it adds a a boost to the enemy's abilities, like they are you know, 40% faster, they hit 30% harder... Uh, or it just adds to the threat level, which I think is effectively the difficulty that you're choosing before you go into the level. So like Apocalypse plus one through Apocalypse plus 30, it's effectively like ramping up the difficulty to the next, you know, the next piece uh, of that. And I, yeah, I, I maybe fought three or four raid captains and then the stage immediately became too hard for me. Um, and again, I think that was still because I hadn't quite dialed in my setup and hadn't got some better armor at that point. So I haven't completed a level with raid captains to know what the reward is you get at the end. But to my understanding, it's basically an extra end of level chest that you get. So normally you'll get a an artifact or a piece of gear from uh, the loot pool for that mission and I think you get another one that has an extra chance to re-roll to be a unique piece of armor. And the more banners you collect from defeating these raid captains, the more, you know, the higher the chance of getting a unique weapon or armor or whatever uh, there is. So potentially a way to assist people who are, you know, into the game itself, but want to speed up the loot grind a little bit to really get the, uh, the equipment that they're looking for. So I played a, a couple of levels with uh, with my... I think it's an in-between character I have. Actually, I think it's the same character I used when you and myself and Exumavoid played some dungeons uh -huh. together. Yeah. And it it um, I ran into the raid captains. Forget Like, I didn't realize what they were. Uh, like, I just... I knew that I had the free update with um, the Hidden Depths because I'm not playing the expansion. I'm just playing on the Xbox. And I, I saw the captain. I was like, well, okay, is this just something... I thought it was just something new that I've missed over the multiple updates that I've not played. And I realized I clued in that this was from the new thing. And um, I ended up with four different modifiers, I think, on the level. And much like you, I was quickly like, oh, this is impossible. Yeah. Like, uh -huh. just, this is not happening at this current level. Because, I mean, I'm power level like 16 or something. Like, it's not, I, you know, it, I was playing in Creeper Woods uh, for a second time. I was trying to uh, explore the blacksmith and have him update some daggers and i just like i had to go run three missions yeah at a certain level so i just like well i'll just go run the stuff that i think is is um i'm familiar with anyway i i mean i'm killing things and i have to you know they don't leave you alone so i had to kill the raid captain but uh it wasn't clear to me that when they drop the banner like if you have a choice to not pick up the banner or yeah. whether the effects happen immediately. But in a game where the MO is pick up all the things and punch all the things, I immediately realized, oh crap, I didn't necessarily want to pick up a random <laughs> banner yeah. and now have 20% less health and night mode, which by the way, just spawns things all the time no matter constantly, what. So yeah. like, mm -hmm. good luck going into your inventory or checking the map. Like yeah. it's just, it's constant. Uh, and then there was like another one that reduced my health further and another one that increased the threat level. And from what I could tell, the threat level just added more mobs. They didn't seem necessarily stronger to me. There was just a lot more. Like zombies, it looked like World War Z. Like it, <laughs> there was a lot. There was a lot. Um, which provided its own problems because I was running with like, um, not fist weapons, but melee weapons, like daggers and uh, what are they called? Sickles? Yeah. The, 
Yeah. So I was using those. And and so like I, I end up having uh, an issue where if there was too many mobs around me and there was behind me, I would be end up end up taking shots and uh, ranged becomes a real issue because like one shot from a skeleton was 30 percent of my health. I was like, OK, this is now three heart hardcore, you know, uh, as opposed to uh, what I was playing at. And um, I mean, lesson learned, but it was frustrating because I had picked up some cool stuff that I had to then leave because I, I couldn't complete the level. Um, and, uh, I, so it was cool. It's cool. It's cool options and they're fun, big, you know, they're well animated. Like everything about them is really neat, but I, I didn't quite have enough research on them before I played. So I feel like there could be more communicated to you. Like they give you a pop-up, you know, before you start the, the new free update as to what they are and what they do. But I feel like there could be a little bit more of a in level sort of situation, you know, like, something like you know you're about to pick up this banner are you sure yeah. you know like yes yes or no as opposed to just like it's a banner do you want it and, you're, and most of the time you're just like yeah i want the thing and it's oh no wait i didn't want that thing. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think one thing that minecraft dungeons is now really crying out for is some kind of in-game wiki some kind of in-game resource or codex or something that will allow you to go back through like descriptions of some of the mobs that you fight with like a little bit of lore text or something about some of them but in the case of stuff like raid captains and the mystery banners that they drop i think it would be really good to have an explanation that you can come back to because i think minecraft dungeons is one of those games people pick up and play and then they put down for a month or two and then they pick it back up again or, or like a couple of weeks or whatever between play sessions because a lot of us are just returning to longer minecraft worlds and stuff or playing a variety of games so I think having some kind of in-game resource for remembering what some of this stuff is uh, could be quite useful. And I also really want it to, for like collection purposes, to kind of like, you know, pick up a little bit more of the unique weapons and stuff. And before I salvage them, I want to make sure that I've at least recorded which ones I've collected so far and and, and see a little bit about each of them. But um, yeah, I think this is, this is a, a fun DLC. I, I can't really report on the anniversary missions because uh the only uh chance i really had to play this was on stream on thursday but i definitely want to try and get those done before the anniversary ends just to see what they're about i think the missions themselves are going to be more of the same more like the kind of daily trials stuff but then getting those unique items is always quite fun and the next dlc that should be out for minecraft dungeons is going to be themed around the end at which point I'm interested to see which direction their content goes for this game if they decide to wrap up, you know, updates and stuff there or if they have other plans for it, a kind of end game for Minecraft Dungeons if the end is really going to be the end of the story. Um, because it seems like with this many DLCs now and so much of the story revolving around this mysterious orb that has this sort of vibe of the end about it when you encounter it in uh in the the course of the base game i think there is potential for the end to be like the climactic dlc and the uh the conclusion of the storyline of minecraft dungeons so it'll be really interesting to see you don't anticipate any deep dark uh switch over like there's been <laughs> any, like any kind of that coming over into minecraft dungeons maybe not with this storyline but maybe the start of a new one i i would love to to be honest but i think the problem then becomes that minecraft dungeons has had this long and this amount of stuff to be able to pull from minecraft for a while and it'd be a matter of sustaining itself until 
a vanilla Minecraft update comes out with more stuff they can incorporate. And right. so, like, if they add the, the the deep dark and they add some more stuff related to the, the cave update in the fullness of time, then awesome. But in the meantime, they have to have something to sustain the game. And with them putting out a DLC, I'd say, like, every three months or so, we've had a new DLC for Dungeons at this point. There's been four and... Uh, has it been four? I can't quite remember. But uh, either way, we've had four or five and it's only just come around to the game's first anniversary i can't imagine them being able to churn out that amount of dlc content without either coming up with some stuff on their own uh or you know having having to have some kind of end game activity to keep players involved until the caves and cliffs dlc can come out and until the dlc can come out that's themed around 1.9 19 or, or or anything like that I'm I'm curious to see what their strategy becomes because I I can't really foresee them taking much more content from vanilla Minecraft at this point. But Speaking of more content for vanilla Minecraft, there is a bit of breaking news here at the end of the show. I'm going to give a shout out to Shepard in our live chat for pointing out that pre-release 2 for 117 has just been released. Uh nothing crazy, about a dozen bug fixes give or take. Uh, most of which seem pretty standard for like, hey, gas explosions were uh, like un unlimited power and causing crashes. Uh, slimes and magma cubes not interacting with players. Uh, other tags that were not intuitive, things like that. Uh, and we'll have a link to that on the Minecraft.net article as well this week. Yeah, the size of the bug fix uh, list there is it's pretty small and it does kind of lend some credence to hey we think this update is ready to go out on june 8th uh so yeah fingers crossed that that remains the case and we'll be potentially using next week's show to kind of recap the nether updates because of course we'll be releasing next monday's show the day before caves and cliffs part one releases so looking forward to hashing out uh, everything we've learned and everything we've done in the nether update as we look forward into caves and cliffs part one but for today that's going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today including all of those lovely announcements from minecraft.net at thespawnchunks.com uh, the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud as ever to be a listener supported podcast if you get some value out of the show please consider putting some value back in you can do that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks you can join our community there pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when it is recorded in Discord every week. And it also gets us closer to our next milestone goals, which is a monthly Minecraft audio hangout where we get to talk about everything that our patrons have been doing in Minecraft that month. Uh, we are currently at 256 patrons, which is four stacks of patrons. We're very proud of that. It's also up three from last week, so thank you to our new arrivals. And special thanks go out to our content engineers, General Pattern82, Greener Canuck, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say, hey, you should listen to The Spawn Chunks. And you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Honestly, wherever you can find a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And of course, you can find the Patreon-only RSS feed on the Patreon page, and that's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where the Minecraft Survival Guide is now in its last week. 
which is a very strange thing to say. Uh, but I will be planning a bunch of new and fun series for the Caves and Cliffs updates. So stick around at youtube.com slash pixelriffs. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I mostly do behind the scenes work for the survival guide. And I'm sure behind the scenes work for all of my newer projects as well. I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, which is at thecitadelcafe.com. I'm going to be recording with Stephen ESC this week. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I continue to plug away in the medieval world or medieval build, I guess, on the Citadel. And uh, I guess we'll see what happens with the snapshots and the modded play. Well, stay tuned. Twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and we might be out of our depth.